Sunflower Talents is a new online theater initiative co-created by Talia Ranjbar and Sarah McMillan. Talia is a graduate student at NYU studying graduate musical theater writing, and Sarah is a recent graduate of Randolph College for the Performing Arts. These girls have worked and created together for eight years and have a history of leading initiatives for their community, and I can attest to the fact that they are both incredibly talented, and this is an opportunity that you don't want to miss out on. This year, they are offering a virtual workshop series through Sunflower Talents. Their curriculum offers instruction in dance, including jazz, tap, ballet, and ballroom, as well as acting, performance workshops, and introductions to writing for theater. Sunflower Talents is also excited to announce that they will offer workshops and Q&As with esteemed industry professionals, such as Tony Award winner Laura Benanti, two-time Dora Award winner Pamela Mala-Sinha, Emmy Award-winning casting directors, and more. This is a program designed for all levels of experience, and they promise to create a space where individuals are excited to step out of their comfort zones. Please visit their website, sunflowertalents.com, and follow their Facebook and Instagram at sunflowertalents to register and stay up to date on upcoming exciting announcements. Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Hey everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of TRM. I just wanted to start off by checking in because I feel like the last few weeks have just been really blah for everyone, including myself. And I don't know why, it's just been really hard to stay motivated and hopeful and all these things, and I've just had a few really cloudy days for no reason at all. So I just wanted to say that if you're also feeling this way, you are definitely not alone. And if you have any tips or strategies you want to share, please DM the Revolutionize Mind Instagram account because I would love to share these suggestions with all of the listeners. That way we can all help each other on this journey. But I am super excited to release this episode because I feel like it cannot have come at a more perfect time, and which is why I reached out to her to come be my guest this week, because her story just gives hope and inspiration. And I think we could all use a little bit more of that right now. Today, Menli is going to share her story with mental illness and explain how she got to where she is today. There are definitely a lot of ups and downs within this story, but ultimately I think can really help people understand that what they're going through is valid. You should always seek help if you need it, and it does get better. So I really, really hope that you're able to take something away from this story and apply it to your own life. Trigger warning, we do talk about self-harm, suicide, and substance use in this episode. So just please be aware of that moving forward. So today I'm here with Menli, who is another great example of someone who has used her shitty experiences to become the inspirational mental health advocate that she is today. I think that her story and her perspectives are so motivating and really help to show that life is worth living. She is so passionate about being real on social media and supporting everyone along their journey, which is something that I truly admire. Would you like to just tell us a bit about yourself before we get into your story? Yeah, of course. So hello. Um, First of all, I'm so happy to be here. So thanks so much for having me, Jill. 
Um, my name is Menli and I just graduated from Western um, as a student athlete on the swim team and I'm actually returning to Western in the fall um, for Teachers College so I'm super excited about that. Um, and then outside of school and swimming, I'm super passionate about mental health, um, which is how Jell and I met and why I'm here. Um, so through social media platforms, I started sharing my mental health journey and I haven't stopped since. So I'm all about being real and being vulnerable and authentic. Um, so yeah, that's a bit about me. Amazing. And this is totally random, but what event do you do in swimming? I swim the 200 breaststroke, um, so it's a bit of a mid-distance event, and uh, it's, a, it's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, swimming like is definitely difficult. Um, so yeah, do you want to just start off by telling us a bit about your childhood and adolescence? Like, what was your family like, and how was your high school experience? Yeah, of course. Um, so growing up, I had like a pretty average, great childhood. Um, my family's always been really competitive, so we're all, like, I'm the oldest of three siblings, and we're all athletes, um, so I grew up playing sports, and I started swimming competitively when I was 10, and from the age of eight, I started writing journals, um, and I continued to write ever since I was eight, and um, it's been interesting to, like, look back on those and kind of evaluate and analyze my childhood but overall pretty great childhood and then at the age of 13 I started to um, I was overcome with this like overwhelming feeling of being depressed and I just like had no idea where it came from because there wasn't like a life event that necessarily happened that like triggered this depression um, and I was like why am I feeling this way I was just very confused um, I started having suicidal thoughts and started self-harming as well. So that was actually, so I was 13, which was right before, it was the summer before high school. And going into high school, my mental health only deteriorated, but on the outside looking in, it looked like I was absolutely thriving. Um, I developed like this obsession, I think in high school, of making my life look perfect. So I worked really hard. I was still like swimming competitively. Um, I was joining all these clubs, just really tried to make my life look perfect on the outside. Um, but in reality, I was really struggling. So I wasn't actually diagnosed with anything in high school because I never sought out help, which I really wish I did sooner. Um, but I, looking back now, I can see that I was clearly struggling with depression, anxiety, and perfectionism. Like you said, I think how you said that depression, there was no major life event that triggered it. That's something that that's like a major misconception that a lot of people believe has to happen. And even once you're diagnosed with depression, like even if nothing happens and you just wake up one day and you're sad, like there's really no explanation behind it. Yeah, I know. And that's why I was so confused. Like I was so uneducated being like 13, just not knowing anyone with mental health struggles. And I really just, I was like, I have a great life. Like why, why is this? why is something wrong with my brain? But then I realized later that it can really just be a chemical imbalance. That's just, you know, that's just how it works. So it doesn't discriminate on people, mental illness. Absolutely. Um, so obviously you had a lot going on internally and no one really knew the severity of what was going on. So how did you handle moving away for university and being on your own? Yeah, so I wanted to move away from home. Um, I'm from London. So I ended up going to Laurier, which was about like an hour and a half in Waterloo away from London. And right away, I found the transition to be super difficult. So 
this was like the first time I had ever moved away or it was the first like major life change for me. Um, and I was dealing with these like undiagnosed mental illnesses. Um, I didn't have like any professional help. I was trying to balance, like I was a varsity swimmer at Laurier. I was in a really academically challenging program. And then at the same time, I was going through this change, this like this room change, this location change, like it was all really difficult for me. Um, when I first got there, I was really trying to fit in with everyone. I think every like person who's gone away to university or college can probably relate to this. Like the first couple months are like trying to get as many friends as you possibly can, um, trying to fit in with everyone, like partying, all that kind of stuff. So I was really trying to do that. And with that, I think I had, um, I had a bit of an identity crisis. I was like, this isn't me, but I'm really just trying to fit in. And I kind of lost who I was. Um, so with all of that combined and my prior experience in high school, just having untreated problems, um, my mental health just really declined. So it was really hard for me when I first moved to university, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's super common, especially moving cities, like you're away from your family, you're away from your friends, you don't have that support system. Plus, you're going into a new academic scene, a new athletic scene in your case. So it's just a lot of change. Yeah, it's just so different. And I think also, like with me, kind of striving for this like perfection kind of in high school, no one tells you when you like go to university or college, it's that you're kind of all of a sudden, like in a pool with everyone else is like you right like all of a sudden you're going from getting those really high marks to maybe not those so great marks and um even with athletics too like you're not always the best on your team anymore like everyone's kind of at the top of their game so um i think just not knowing that and getting thrown into that it was really hard for sure and they just people don't talk about that so yeah completely agree so at that time, was there anything that you found either really helped or really worsened your mental health? Like, how did you deal with it? Yeah, so about a month or so in um, to my university experience, it became really obvious to the people um, who knew me at Laurier um, that I was really struggling. And I remember like that time when I was like, I can't like put this mask up anymore. Like I... I'm really struggling that I can't just like fake it anymore. So the resident staff and my coaches at Laurier knew that I was struggling, but no one like intervened. And I think that's, um, that really had a bad effect on my mental health. I was like, I am so desperately like struggling and asking almost for help. Like, and no one's like recognizing that, like how I was almost like in my brain, I was like, how much worse do I need to be, you know? Um, so I was so desperate for help, but I didn't, I didn't take that step to like, I was way too scared to take that step to ask for professional help. Um, yeah, so my mental health was spiraling out of control. Um, my days basically consisted of me like waking up for swim practice at five in the morning, but I would have been up all night, like doing schoolwork. So I was on like no sleep. I'd swim in the morning and then I'd have like classes from like 8.30 to like 1 p.m. or so. And then I would have practice again. So two practices and then I would be doing more schoolwork. And then I just found myself so busy all the time that I didn't have this like time to just like reevaluate like 
what's going on with my brain like I was like go 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 to the point where I like burst I was like this is like too much like I'm not taking care of my mental health so I was just putting so much pressure on myself to perform to such high standards athletically and academically and it just never got better it just got very very worse well that's the hectic life of a student athlete (laughs) yeah but One thing I wanted to touch on is how you said that, like, how much worse do I need to get before people actually take action, I think is super important. And unfortunately, I think is the reason behind certain suicide attempts or thoughts, because people in that situation don't always necessarily want to go, but they want someone to recognize how bad their mental state is and that they actually do need help. So I think that's a really great point and is something that a lot of people don't really talk about. Yeah, 100%. It's, um, you know, and I, I remember thinking, like, I was really struggling with self-harm at the time, you know, and I'm, I'm a swimmer, I'm in a swimsuit, like, you can only hide so much, right? And there's those points that you know with other people that they recognize it, and it's kind of like this awkward moment, and it's like, oh, let's just, like, forget about it, we'll, we'll push that aside, like, we don't need to talk about that. And I think, yeah, I definitely thought in my brain, I was like, clearly I'm not sick enough for me to get help. Like I don't deserve help. Um, And that is so wrong, but um, that's what I thought at the time. Yeah. And there's a difference there between like a call for help and someone being quote unquote attention seeking, which I think a lot of times it does just get brushed off as that. Yeah, of course. I know I, you know, those people say like it's attention seeking or whatever, but then there's also that like that call for help. And it's like, I just, I really need, I need someone to support me right now. And um, like, you want someone to see that you're suffering, because especially when you're in that headspace, you don't want to be the person that says like, I need help, I need to go do this. And a lot of the times you physically and mentally can't do that. So you want someone to see that whether I mean, it's a sign of self harm or an actual suicide attempt that people see and they're like, okay, like, now we need to intervene. I think it's always a little bit too late. Yes, 100%. Completely agree. So you said people started becoming aware that you were suffering at that time, but when, I guess, was your family actually starting to get involved with everything? Yeah, so I had completely, like, hidden my struggles in university from my family, um, and my close friends, too, didn't necessarily know. It was actually the people that kind of saw me day-to-day in residence or at the pool that noticed, because... I really couldn't hide that on a day-to-day basis, but on like social media or through phone calls or by text, like I was able to hide that. Um, So my family didn't get involved until it was actually um, the day of my suicide attempt. And we can, I guess we can get into that now, but um, about a month and a bit into university. So it was October um, 6th of 2017. um, That was the night that I had attempted suicide. Um, And it was also the night of my grade 12 graduation. So I'll explain this a bit because our high school was kind of weird. Um, I think some other high schools do it this way, but I've never really understood why. Um, But yeah, we graduated grade 12 in the fall of that year. So instead of... So weird. (laughs) I know it doesn't make sense at all because it was also like a Thursday night, I'm pretty sure. And people who have gone away to university can't necessarily like come back for their graduation. Anyways, it was a whole, it was just a weird situation. Um, But I, like I said, I was really struggling for that, like, 
first month of university, like my mental health was just declining so rapidly. And then here we are, um, I am about to graduate from my high school. Um, so my parents picked me up from school and then I went home um, and graduated. And I remember like seeing everyone, all my high school friends and my family, um, which was really nice that everyone was all there together. And I had been really struggling. I was definitely at my lowest point at this point. And I had thought to myself, like, this is going to be like the last time that I see everyone. Like, there's not going to be another chance where I'm going to see everyone one more time. Like, it almost felt like this, this perfect scenario where I can say goodbye, if that makes sense. Um, so I hugged everyone like extra tight that night. I remember like saying like, I love you to everyone. Um, and it was really hard for me. I, cause I was like, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be tonight. Like it, there was this constant battle in my brain of like my suicidal thoughts and then my like reality, like my actual brain speaking. It was like, and I think anyone with depression or who struggle with suicidal thoughts can understand that it's almost like two brains um, fighting each other. So after graduation, I, my family dropped me back off at school because I had two exams the next morning, um, or I guess midterms. And I said bye to them. And then I remember that night I was back in my room and I was really feeling extremely overwhelmed. I was trying to talk myself like out of it. And I was like, just open your books, like start studying. But I was so behind in school at this point. I was really, really struggling academically. And I just thought that it was my only solution was to overdose. And I, so I did. Um, and then I, I was overdosed that night. And thankfully, thank goodness for my friend in residence. Um, it was, I think, two in the morning. And a couple of my other friends on the floor were also studying for the same exam. So it was common that like people were up late. Um, we always had our doors unlocked. And my friend actually came into my room just to see how my studying was going and found me there unconscious. So I'm so thankful that that friend um, was there when they were. Um, so they made the 911 call and campus police and the paramedics showed up and I ended up getting transported to the hospital in an ambulance and stayed in the hospital for a little bit after that. So that was the night I remember actually waking up the next day in the hospital and I just wanted to be like, they were gonna release me like physically and then they were gonna transport me to a psychiatric unit. And I remember being so excited to just be released and get back to normal. And I remember the doctor came up to me and he's like, um, because you're 17, like you're a minor, um, I actually can't release you until uh, you call your parents and tell them that you're here right now. And I remember I just did not want to tell my parents because I didn't want to like worry them. And I was like, no, I'm okay. Like, clearly I wasn't. But you know, I was just I didn't want I didn't want to worry them. And I I remember having to make that phone call holding like my nurse's hand and my parents were just in tears. It was such a shock to them because like I said, I had hid um, what was going on for so long. So um, that's when my family found out. And then ever since then, I've been able to thankfully have like professional help and support. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I'm really sorry that you felt like you had to turn to that that night. I'm sure everything felt very overwhelming. And that was what you said was your only solution, it felt like. Um, but also very, very grateful that your friend walked in at that time because who knows what would have happened. 
Um, and it's one of those things that like I posted on my Instagram story today, like I truly believe everything happens for a reason and you needed to be here and she needed to walk in at that second. And that puts you on your mental health journey towards getting help and allowing your support system to like really be there to support you because then they finally understood the severity of what was going on. Yeah, 100%. I I always say that. I'm like, I think everything happens for a reason too. And I think that I was given a second chance for a reason at life. Um, and I definitely never take life for granted anymore. I think that changes the way that you think of things and the way you go about your life. So um, yeah, definitely so thankful to be here today. So yeah, I just want to talk a bit about like what was going on in your head at that night. And also how you said earlier about like the two brains telling you different things, because that's something I can personally really relate to, because it kind of feels like the angel and the devil, like on your shoulder, like one person telling you one thing. So what is like the good side of your brain telling you? Yeah, 100%. So um, that's the way I've always described it. And I think it's so almost easy to understand um, when you put it that way, like the angel and the devil to people who don't necessarily struggle with mental health or mental illness. Um, so for example, like the angel would be telling me like, come on, like we can just like open those books and study or let's take like a break or um, it was always thinking kind of rationally and it was trying to like it was on survival mode it was trying to get me to kind of just keep going and like there's hope like it was always hopeful um and then unfortunately in those moments where I would struggle with suicidal thoughts the devil part of my brain was always more active and more prominent it was like this fight and the devil was always like you know you just need to end it like you don't deserve to be here like it would just be these awful thoughts and and I was used to that because I, again, have been struggling with those since I was like 13. But for that, some reason that night, like it just all, it was like a ticking time bomb, right? Like it just all went off. And um, sometimes I also describe the devil as like the bully in my brain. Um, because I just, I think it's a good way to put it for people that don't necessarily understand. That's something I'm trying to get, I'm trying to understand more of that more people don't necessarily go through this all the time. So how can we explain it to educate others that don't understand how that happens? Um, so those two parts are always constantly battling each other. But um, it's important to remember that that part, that angel part does exist. And it is the rational part. And sometimes even like reaching out to others for support and just say, hey, like, I'm struggling right now. Like my devil part of my brain is taking over. Like, can you just like remind me like, what I need to do and sometimes it'll even just be like a loved one like telling me you need to drink a glass of water and like eat and just take some rest because I can't recognize that for myself when my devil's taking over but um yeah that's kind of goes what goes on in my brain interesting yeah because when you were saying that I was just thinking of like what it's like for me and my angel side is normally like interpersonal like it's always telling me about like other people so it'll be like, you can't do this to your family. You can't do this to your friends. Like you have so many people that love you. So it's always like telling me that I need to be here for other people, which I don't know if that's good or bad, but like that's kind of what goes on in my head, especially in those hard moments. Yeah, I completely agree as well. I can relate to that because my angel side will just be like, like this is so selfish of you to be thinking mm -hmm. of like doing these things just for yourself. Like you have so much to live for and you have a great life like you know like you don't so many people have it worse than you my favorite <laughs> oh my I yeah. 
like being in a therapist's <laughs> office and they gave me a sheet of things like ways to cope and with like thoughts and stuff and one of them was like think about how other people have it worse than you and I remember sitting there like how is that supposed to help yeah no that's not a thing (laughs) no definitely doesn't help (laughs) and it just like invalidates you that is like my least favorite line ever like never say that to anyone just because like actually I saw the other day too just something about like the Kardashians being so worried about like their body image this is kind of kind of need more context but it just shows that like people who have everything still suffer and that doesn't invalidate what they're going through. It doesn't mean that just because they live this perfect, rich life that like everything is handed to them. Mm-hmm. And that's such like a stigma that I think like impacted me personally. Obviously, I'm not like a Kardashian. Yeah. <laughs> all of us can somewhat relate to that. Like we, you know, you, you always get, you always get told like, yeah, you could have it so much worse, but you don't like so much to be thankful for. Like, why yeah. would that not even cross your mind you know so yeah um, even just being like a Canadian like living in this country that doesn't go through some of the hardships that other less developed countries go through I think I hear that one a lot like just seeing things on the news and thinking like wow we're so lucky to be here kind of thing and I think about that yeah I think about that all the time and I'm like well it's so important to recognize that yeah I always say mental illness and mental health issues like don't discriminate like they don't have a look they don't have a specific target like they affect all like just anyone and so it's important to realize that you don't need a certain life situation to happen to you to struggle yeah and it's not always controllable like if that devil's in your brain like you're not getting rid of it anytime soon like it's not something you can just snap out of or take a nap and it'll be okay yeah 100% you have to like learn how to deal with that but it's not always it's definitely not easy to try and calm that devil down awesome I love how relatable this is (laughs) (laughs) um so when you went to the hospital that time what diagnoses did you end up receiving and can you explain a bit about the less common ones yeah of course um so I was undiagnosed until actually yeah until that hospital visit and so I was diagnosed with depression um and anxiety and specifically social anxiety but then the the two other diagnoses that weren't as common um are OCPD and adjustment disorder so OCPD is um it's basically this personality disorder that's characterized by like extreme perfection it's it sounds similar to OCD, but it's without the compulsions. So it's this extreme perfectionism, um, this obsession with order and like neatness. So simply put, it's basically a need to be perfect and to have like this perfect life and to have others think that you're perfect. Um, So I was diagnosed with that. And then also I was diagnosed with adjustment disorder, which is basically uh, an emotional like reaction to a stressful event or a change in someone's life and that reaction is considered almost like too much or like excessive like not a normal reaction to change um after it happened so I was diagnosed with that because of kind of the transition into university and that whole change like was not good for me so um anytime there's like major change in my life I kind of have to be careful and like talk to my doctors about like medication and like how I'm doing before that change comes and then OCPD I think um, you can kind of see throughout my story where that kind of manifested and how that is a part of like who I am now but also does need to be taken care of so 
um, with those diagnoses. I got medication and turned to therapy, which was great. Um, and then for the first time ever, like I was getting professional help for those things that I went like so long, like five plus years without being diagnosed with. So yeah, I'm, I, I'm glad that it's under control now. <laughs> Did it make you feel validated getting those diagnoses for the first time? Yeah, 100%. Like I was so, um, I, I felt like I didn't, in high school, I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I didn't understand that even though I might be struggling with these things, like I didn't understand where they came from. And I was just really uneducated on mental health in general. So I didn't even know that those possibilities really existed. Um, but at the same time, I think being like a mental health advocate now, a lot of people will tell me or come up to me and say, oh, like, I don't have a mental illness, or I don't have a diagnosis. So I don't really feel like my struggles are um, like as validated or as important or as treatable. And I always tell them, like, in high school, I didn't have a diagnosis. And I don't know, like, maybe I can see traits of where I would be depressed and everything. But who knows if I would have gotten a diagnosis, right? Like, you don't know. But what I always say was, like, I wish that I had sought help in high school. Like, I really do wish I would have. Um, because, like, maybe it could have been preventable, right? So I always tell people, like, you should, you should seek that help. If you think you need help, like, you should go out and receive that treatment because everyone deserves help. Like, you don't need to have a diagnosis. But I think having the diagnosis did make me, like, understand myself better and, like, understand my thoughts. And I educated myself on my mental illnesses and I think then I realized oh like there's other people out there that have these problems too and it's not just me. Yeah, I think everything you just said is super important and I think I mean there's like a lot of issues with accessing therapy and stuff but like you said like if you think you might have a problem like go talk to someone about it and it could be costly it could not be accessible for some people but even just going to your family doctor and talking about it like if you're questioning it that you might be struggling like it's worth asking somebody about it and therapy is not just for people who are mentally ill like it's literally designed to just help people through life and talking about certain situations and dealing with emotions that are common for everyone yeah, and I think it's hard because I remember kind of dealing with healthcare and like mental health care in the hospital. And there were certainly so many times where I kind of felt, I was like, I kind of feel like invalidated. Like, I don't know, like, you know, and I think that's a large issue with our healthcare right now, like just mental health access and like getting the appointment times and just like everything. Like, people need to recognize that if you think you need help, like you are so worthy and so deserving of help, like it's there for anyone and anyone who needs it. Um, so reaching out is definitely that first important step. Absolutely. So after this whole terrifying experience, um, how did things change for you, your family, and both your student and athlete experience? Yeah, so um, this is <laughs> this is a part of the story that I also kind of I regret um, looking back on it now because I, I think even though right after my attempt, I was in the hospital, it doesn't, your life doesn't change like that, right? Like it doesn't, your mental illnesses don't just change. Like medication takes time to work. Therapy takes time to work. So I wasn't completely like fixed just because I had stayed in the hospital. Um, 
So I decided to go back to school and my family was very against that decision. And so were my friends because this had all happened right before reading week and then over reading week. So it was kind of like ideal timing, I guess, for what I thought at the time, because I was like, wow, all of this happened and I can go right back to school. Like nothing happened. I can just like be myself. And that was like my OCPD and depression and anxiety talking like it was like your life can still look perfect no one needs to know that you're in the hospital um so my family was really advising me not to go back to school they wanted me to take time off but I decided that I wanted to go back so I did and I continued with school and swimming and it was definitely not the best decision I was really struggling the rest of the year even with that like help and that support Definitely not as bad as before, but um, I realized that I wasn't making the right decision and I did need to be at home, um, but I stuck it out that whole year. I missed a lot of practices due to mental health reasons. I failed three courses. I was kicked out of my academic program. So you can kind of see like it just, it almost made it like worse for me to be at school. That definitely wasn't where I needed to be. I needed to be um at home and with help. So um, at the end of that year, I realized that I didn't want to go back to Laurier. It was just kind of like a triggering place for me, a bad environment. And I wanted a fresh start, but I still wanted to continue um, swimming and with school. Uh, so I transferred back home to Western. And I remember just being like so excited about this because that summer I was really like prioritizing myself. Um, I was trying to work so hard at like self-care and um, just kind of reinventing myself. Like who is this new person with like help and medication? So going into that year at Western, I acted like a whole new person, I think. Like I was just like, I'm medicated now. I have therapy. I am like, I'm good. Like, and I told everyone I was in first year. Um, and I, I made great friends with my teammates, um, but I didn't want anyone to know that I had um, a horrible first year at Laurier and I had transferred because I was just so, again, this point of time, I was just so embarrassed. Like, I didn't want to talk about it. It was that stigma, like, getting to me. So I remember just going through that year, um, really working hard at myself. And I'm, I always think that year was really, like, the life-changing year for me. I think I put in that, like, work to be that better person and be that menly that I am today. So um, it was Bell Let's Talk Day of that year. And I remember just being so inspired by everyone sharing their stories. Um, and it was this like battle kind of in my brain again, like my perfectionism was like, don't share your story. Like you can't have other people see that you're struggling. And then that side of my brain that was like, I am so inspired and I have been so helped by the people who have shared their story about mental health that I want to be that person for people as well. So it was that Bell Let's Talk day um, where I decided to like open up about my story. I remember like posting that on social media and like shutting my phone off and like going off it for like hours because I knew if I was going to open my phone, like I was going to delete the post. I was just so, I didn't want to know what people were saying or anything. Um, so that was when like people realized I was actually not a rookie. <laughs> I was in like my second year. Um, but my teammates were super supportive and everyone at Western was fantastic. 
um, I had nothing but like love and support and so many messages of people saying that like that helped me so much like I was really struggling this year and seeing that like really helped me want to reach out for help or um, it's so refreshing to see like someone who is maybe like a student athlete and looks like they have it all together when in fact they don't like it's like that reality check. Um, so that was like kind of the first year I had at Western and when my mental health advocate kind of came out in me um, and I was kind of that person on my team specifically um, that people would kind of go to with mental health and I remember thinking wow like this really feels great like people think that like I'm there for their support and that they can come up to me and they feel comfortable with me um, and that became something that was really important to me to inspire others. And that's why I do what I do today. It's crazy what a year can do. Like seeing you there, like just talking how you're talking now and then compared to the year before. Um, it's awesome that you were inspired on Bella's Talk Day. That was also what inspired me to share my story for the first time many years ago. But yeah, it's just awesome to see how like you made that decision to take care of yourself and you transferred closer to home. You, I mean, unfortunate at the time that you had to like hide the fact that you weren't a rookie, but I think the way that it played out, like it allowed you time to transition without these extra factors. And then when you were ready to accept it and to announce it, you did. And I think that worked out really well for you. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And I, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I think that year was the most, yeah, like life changing year for me because I, I just remember that year being just so thankful. Like I was so thankful that I had a second chance at life and that I w had a second chance at a university. Like I, I wasn't sure if I was going to get into Western transferring. So I was just so lucky and I just kind of worked really hard at making me the best version of myself. And anything that I do now that I always refer back to that year. And I'm like, you might see me now as the person I am. And maybe you think that's who I am, like who I've always been, but it really isn't like that hard work that I put in that year of kind of discovering myself and um, working really hard at school and swimming to just get back to who I kind of was before, like all the mental health mm -hmm. stuff took over. That's the person who like worked behind the scenes to get to where I am now. So yeah. Definitely so thankful for that year. I think that mentality is super inspiring. And I just want to ask you, so like thinking back to how you felt like when you failed three courses, obviously mm -hmm. that would have been really hard on you. But now you're going into teacher's college. So I think if you want to just like share with the listeners anything about like, I mean, in that moment, it was devastating. But now look at you now. So like what, I guess, advice or insight could you provide on that? Yeah, that's a great question because I get that a lot too. It's like, how how did you go from like the failing the three courses to um, and being kicked out of your program to going to teachers college, being like on the dean's list, like all those things that I've been able to do now. And I always just say like, honestly, I I think it was getting it was getting the support and the mental health support and just making those decisions that were right for me, like. I remember in first year, I felt so incredibly unintelligent and so stupid and I was really struggling, but I, I thought I was just stupid. Like I was like, I am not meant for university. Like university is not me. Um, it's like, I didn't even try harder. It's hard to explain. I didn't try harder when I went to Western. It was 
like I put my mental health the first and then following me putting my mental health first the marks came with that and I think that is what I would tell anyone who is maybe struggling academically or mentally that when you put yourself first and I truly put myself before school in that year like so many great things can happen like school should never come first and that's that's unfortunately like what I put first in my first year I didn't prioritize my mental health but not prioritizing your mental health will have such a negative impact on your school so there's always hope and there's always a better version of you that will come but the root of it all is your mental health and that's what I would tell anyone is really really focused on your mental health because the grades your social life your athletics they will come they will be a better version if you have a better mental health I think that's amazing and super important. And I think a lot of people find themselves in that transition to university, whether they're in the wrong academic program, that's just not suiting them, or they're not in a supportive environment, like that'll inevitably take a huge toll on your grades, your social life, your everything, like you said. So just having that mentality and putting yourself first, and maybe you do need to transfer, transfer programs, transfer schools, and it's really not the end of the world. It's not seen as a failure, just like a new opportunity. Yeah, and I changed, I changed programs, I think, like three times. (laughs) I changed schools, I changed a lot about myself. So, and before I never thought that I would be the person to make those changes, I thought I had my whole life figured out in grade 12. So don't be afraid to make those changes. And don't be afraid to put yourself first. I think that's amazing. Um, So yeah, like going off that, obviously, you're a huge mental health advocate now. So what were some steps that you took towards using your story, your voice, and your platforms to become who you are now? Yeah, so it really all stemmed from that social media story, I guess, that I shared um, in my first year at Western. I just never stopped sharing my story. Um, Any chance that I could get, I was like, I'm going to share my story again and again and again because of the people that it affected, I think, honestly, it was the DMs that I kept getting, the text messages that I got, that was like just people opening up to me and just being so thankful and the effects it had on them wanting to get help and just wanting to be the best version of themselves. And it was like a breath of fresh air. And that's the way I describe um, when I see other people like being real. I'm like, it feels like a breath of fresh air because I'm like scrolling Instagram and I'm like, oh my goodness, like all these like perfect people, whatever, whatever. That's what I think in my brain. And then you see like someone being real and it's like, wow, that feels, that feels more normal. Right. So I just had this passion to be real and this passion to be authentic and vulnerable and wanting to share my story. So, um, Every Bella's Talk Day, like I would share my story. I got involved with the Student Athlete Mental Health Initiative, which we were both part of, and how I met you. And then that was really great. I really enjoyed being part of that. Um, And then I created this past year, Voices Through Change, which is basically a community on Instagram to raise awareness for mental health and share stories because I like have always loved sharing my story and seeing effects it has on other people and I wanted like a platform to give others that voice to share their story and I've just been so inspired by the people who have shared their stories on that platform so I'm I absolutely love that community and then I have made like a mental health TikTok which is at mentally menly if anyone wants to follow (laughs) it but I basically just 
um, make mental health TikToks or anything that makes me happy, really. It just, it's just for fun. But um, basically, I'll just, any opportunity I get, I will be a mental health advocate. Like, I always just want to talk about mental health and try and do my part in eliminating the stigma that hurt me so much. And I think a big passion is also just and this is why I want to go into teaching too. I have like a little sticker on my laptop that says, be the teacher that you needed or be that mental health advocate that you needed. Um, and that's what really inspires me. Like I always want to be that person that I needed when I was younger. So that's why I do what I do today. And honestly, you do an amazing job. It is so inspiring. Like I love seeing all your posts, all your stories. I read all of them. Um, but yeah, like what you were saying about I think you've posted this before, like you don't share it for attention or for anything like that. It's because of like how it affects people. And I think that is so, so important. And I mean, just seeing someone else's story is so inspiring and just reading it will allow you to self-reflect and say like, hey, maybe it's time for me to open up or go get that help or go whatever. And one story can go such a long way, like it obviously has for you. So good on you for being brave and sharing that. That's amazing. Thank you so much. (laughs) So lastly, we're going to do a bit of like a three, two, one pyramid. So we're going to go with three reasons why you feel lucky to be alive today, two of your favorite or most useful mental health tips, and one piece of advice for anyone who may be currently struggling. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot. But, but I Yeah, it's that. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my favorite question. Like I'm like... <laughs> That's so cute. I love that. Um, Thank it's so you. Important to, like reflect. Like I love ending on such a positive <laughs> note. Um, but okay, so three reasons why I feel lucky to be alive. Um, I think the first one we've kind of touched on this, but just achieving what I didn't think was possible. And I think that anyone who has struggled with depression or mental illness or um, a suicide attempt or just really anything. Um, I like didn't see myself being alive today. So I think that has changed my perspective so much on life. I'm like, I am just so thankful to be here that everything that comes with being alive is just like this bonus to me. So again, like I was failing three courses. I really didn't think I was going to be like here that much longer. And like, here I am like going to be a teacher and um, you know, just having this impact on people that I never even thought was possible. So I think my first reason um, why I'm lucky to be alive is just to achieve what I never even imagined. And as a kid, I always wanted those things, but I kind of lost that in my teenage years with mental illness. So um, that would be my first reason. And then my second reason um, would be um, I'm lucky to be alive to live my like authentic life, I think, because before my hospitalization and my struggles where they got really low um this need to be perfect was always like I feel like I'm alive to please other people if that makes any sense um I was really living to like make my family proud or to make my friends really like me like I was just always living for other people and I didn't discover who like I was and what I wanted from life until it was that like first year at Western it is just such a like weight off your shoulders when you start living for yourself and what you want. And then I'm definitely not all the way there yet. I really struggle with people pleasing. (laughs) I never want to say like no to things. Um, But I think I would have never known that version of me before. Like she didn't exist. So I'm 
lucky to be alive to see that like authentic real version of myself and then my third reason I'm lucky to be alive would be to help and inspire others and I really like this one because this is something that I go back to like every single day um I still I think this is like kind of a common misconception with mental illness is that kind of like that recovery you kind of maybe people think you're you're not struggling at all with it but um you know like depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts are still something that i struggle with regularly they're just more managed now so whenever i'm having like a really hard night or i'm really struggling with like suicidal thoughts or depression i just think about how like i actually have screenshots on my phone of like messages that people have sent me that say like your story has really helped me and made me want to be here and made me want to get help and stuff so I always look back on those or I always think of the people that I could help in the future and that is what makes me like makes my fire burn inside of me and what makes me want to be alive so um, I think just helping people and inspiring others is what makes me feel lucky to be alive. Sorry that was a really long answer. No it's okay (laughs) that was incredible I loved that and like you can clearly see how passionate you are which is awesome. Thank you. Okay, and then my two mental health tips. Um, I really thought these out. I was like, my first one is going to be um, to let yourself feel your emotions. Because I think for me, that was something I never really um, followed, especially with sports. You know, like there's that, there's that whole mental health stigma with sports where it's like, internalize all of your feelings. Like you don't want the other people to see you as like, weak or anything so um just kind of like internalize that and that's basically what I did for a very long time until that bomb went off inside of me so now if I feel like crying like I'm gonna go cry like I'll take that shower and ball my eyes out or go into bed and cry because sometimes you just need to let it out and you can't keep that inside of you or it's gonna explode at a time that you don't want it to explode so First of all, just let your feelings out um, and don't be ashamed of that. And I think my second one, this mental health tip is more like geared towards people who aren't necessarily um, struggling maybe themselves, but love someone or have someone in their life who is. And it would just be to take the time to educate yourself because I think that the world would just be such a better place and such a more understanding place if people took the time to ask those questions and to educate themselves. Um, that's something that I found with people in my life now that I really look for and I appreciate is kind of those moments where there's a question and they're not afraid to like ask that question or they just kind of go out of their way to do like a quick Google search on maybe like a mental illness or something that is going on with my brain because I think it's that lack of like wanting to educate themselves with people that like enforces that stigma with mental health. So I would just say if anyone's like listening who maybe maybe doesn't personally relate to anything I'm saying, but maybe knows someone who does, I would say just take the time to educate yourself and ask those hard questions because even though they might be hard and awkward, like that person will appreciate it more than you could ever know. So those would be my two mental health tips. I'm so happy you said that and not like 
drink water, go outside. Like you went on a much deeper level, which I truly appreciate. I think that's amazing. (laughs) I know because I, that's what I always hear too, right? Like it's like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I am so about that. I'm like, I love self-care. And I think I posted this on my Instagram, like not that long ago. And it was like, I had just shared a post that was like, if we're going to talk about mental health, like we also need to talk about mental illness. Like Mm -hmm. we need to talk about self-care just as much as we talk about suicide. And so I think we always hear like drink water, go to bed early, which nothing wrong with that. Like those are great things, but also like, what do we really need to do on the inside as well to Mm -hmm. work on that mental health? Yeah, completely agree. And then my one piece of advice to anyone who might be currently struggling. um, This one's also another deep one, I guess. Um, Love it. (laughs) But it would be that you can use your mental health as your superpower and you can use it to your advantage. And I'll explain that one a bit because it's a little bit hard to understand maybe at first. Um, But when I think back to 17 year old me that was really struggling and I was kind of in the worst of my mental health. I always saw my mental illnesses and my mental health problems as the worst thing in my life. And I was like, I'm such a burden to other people. I can't believe like other people have to listen to me, like something I need to hide. This is something that's not good. Like, and I just always saw it as this negative thing. And I think a lot of people still do like, and I'm not saying I always think it's like a positive thing, but Um, I've kind of changed my perspective on that because I, in recovery, I learned like how to turn that switch around. And I was like, well, I wouldn't be who I am today without them. I wouldn't be like a compassionate advocate, sensitive person if I didn't have those struggles. So even in the worst of your mental health journey, just think about how those make you you and how those struggles are going to make you stronger and how you are going to be so much more understanding to anyone else you might cross paths with in life that maybe do struggle um, with something like that because people who don't struggle with mental health as often or don't have mental illness might not be able to get on that level of understanding so I've really tried to see it as it's kind of my superpower like I I understand people, I feel more deeply, I think, than most people. And that's kind of has to do with the depression, anxiety, I, I see things in the world that maybe people turn a blind eye to, right? Like we are just super feelers. And that is not always a bad thing that can definitely be a much needed thing, especially in the world we live in today. So that's how I've started to look at my mental illnesses and mental health struggles. And I would say, anyone who's struggling, maybe if you could just look at them like that for a a little bit, like a second, just think of them like that. Um, It can definitely really change your outlook on life and your your brain. I am obsessed with that answer. Loved all of that. And I know I've said before in this podcast, like something that helped me was I wanted to grow with my illness, not against it. Because the more you spend time trying to fight it, it's just going to work harder trying to make itself there in your brain, like causing problems. So like you said, like we are super feelers. We know what it feels like to be like that. And we're so self-aware of when those feelings are present in our own minds, as well as other people's, because we see it 
physically, mentally, like we know what that looks like. And we are so hypersensitive to everything that comes with mental illness. So I love that. And I think it's really, really crucial towards the healing process for everyone. Yeah, it's so important. I think in recovery, like I, when I realized that my depression, my anxiety, they can't just be fixed, right? Like I kind of- They're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. And I think for a long time, I did think that was the way it worked because I was just kind of uneducated on mental illness in general. And I was like, okay, like I take these meds, like, oh, it's going to be gone soon. Like it doesn't, it doesn't need to last forever. And then I think when I did realize in recovery, this is going to be something that I'm going to live with for the rest of my life. Um, That was such a- life-changing like kind of perspective I was like okay it's not going anywhere so how how can I use this to my advantage how can I use this as my superpower and then also grow with it and allow it to make me a better person instead of someone that feels like she should like hide all the time and hide that part of who she is and honestly like sitting here today like being that vulnerable person and same probably goes for you like We are both like living proof that being that authentic, vulnerable person and being open and using those mental health and illness issues to your advantage can do so much for you. It can change your life around. Um, So yeah, I'm just really, I just really love that perspective. Yeah. And that's honestly why I chose like the revolutionized mind as my title is because it's like revolutionizing the way that you see things like changing your perspectives like as negative and as shitty as some situations seem like in that moment like look at us now like looking back at our past selves I'm sure we both are like wow look how far we've come but like in that moment it is so hard to think that so it is a whole process some days are harder than others some days it's impossible to have these perspectives but I think like the ultimate goal is to just have people become so like comfortable with who they are and what comes with being that person and just knowing how to deal with what goes on in their head for sure. Yeah, I love that. I completely agree with that. And I love the revolutionized mind. I didn't know that was like this. Yeah. I was like, what does that mean? Like, it's like revolution, but I now it makes more sense. I like mm-hmm. I love that growth mindset. Yeah. I feel like I need to like do an episode just on the title and be like, this is what <laughs> this is what this means. Um, But no, yeah, I think that's like a great way to wrap up this conversation. I think it shows like how you got to where you are today and like how your story has shaped you into this amazing, intelligent, inspiring person that you are. And yeah, I loved this conversation. Thank you so, so much for sharing your story. And I know you share it all the time on social media and every single time it's just as powerful. So thank you for doing what you do and keep being you. Thank you so much, Shell. I absolutely loved being here and I love this podcast. So thank you for everything that you do. Um, and I'm just so happy to be here. And thank you to everyone who's listened. <laughs> I wish I could like hug everyone. That's <laughs> Sending virtual hugs. Yes, of course. <laughs> okay, thank, thank you. you. Bye. Wow, guys, I truly enjoyed recording this conversation because It is so nice when you can talk to someone who understands you and can relate to you and who honestly has the same mentalities as you, which is not very common when it comes to mental illness. And she said it perfectly, like a lot of people view it as this negative thing, which it is. But after you deal with it for so long and experience these traumatic events, 
you have no choice but to look at it from this positive viewpoint, which I know sounds very weird, but it's something that has helped me tremendously and has clearly helped Menly as well. So I truly believe that this is an episode that will hit home with a lot of people, not only if you struggle with mental illness, but if you have a loved one who does as well. And it's one of those things where, like, in the moment, if you're in that headspace, you're going to be like, Jal, shut the fuck up. Like, no, nothing is ever going to be okay. I'm in this dark cloud and I'm not getting out of it, which I completely understand. And I'm not trying to force you out of it at all. It took me, like, six, seven years to get to where I am today. It's taken Menly several years as well. It doesn't happen overnight. And the text message that I put on my Instagram story yesterday of someone kind of asking me what to do when you're in a funk, they were pretty frustrated about the lack of progress and basically just that they expected this change to happen immediately. And they were upset that they were still in the same boat, which is completely normal. And I'm bringing this up because this episode, I think, explains that perfectly, that healing takes time. Recovery is, unfortunately and fortunately, a lifelong journey. Every single day, as cheesy as this sounds, is an opportunity to learn and grow. And all it is, honestly, is mindset. Like, if you know you struggle with mental illness and this cloud is there more days than not, How can you use that to your advantage? How can you make it your superpower, like Menly said? And I think that's how I'm going to leave off this episode, is just take a second right now and think about any mental health struggle that you've ever gone through or that you're currently going through. What is it teaching you about yourself, about others, about the world? And what is it adding to your life? I hope you're able to do some self-reflection and apply some of these perspectives to your own life. Thank you to everyone for tuning in to this week. I loved this episode. I think it gives off an amazing message and huge shout out to Menly for being so vulnerable every single day of her life to help inspire others. She is incredible and someone that I truly admire. I have her socials linked in my bio, but if you want to follow her mental health Instagram, it's at voices, T-H-R-U, through change. And her mental health TikTok is at mentally menly, both linked in the description. Next week, I'm planning to have a peer specialist from the Canadian Mental Health Association who works with youth aged 12 to 25 come on as a guest and share a bit about what he does and offer some suggestions. So I wanted to give the listeners an opportunity to submit any questions for me to ask this peer specialist about anything that you might be going through or any tips that you're looking to implement in your everyday life. So I will be putting a question bubble on my Instagram story sometime this weekend. Please pay attention for that and please contribute as I want to put out content that will resonate with you and I want to answer all your questions. Lastly, don't forget to please, please go follow Sunflower Talents on Facebook and Instagram and check out their website. They are working with some amazing professionals in the field and this is a great opportunity. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. I'll see you next week.